Welcome to the Running Hurt Podcast, where we explore the psychological side of injury in college cross-country and track and field. I'm your host, Matthew Peacock. On the show today, building culture. What does it take to build a supportive injury environment on college teams? Take a listen. So our first story is from Marissa Turner, assistant track and field coach at Williams College. And her own injury experience as a college athlete influences how she approaches her job as a coach. So Marissa did volleyball and track as an undergrad, and she had this pretty scary injury early on. Freshman year, I had some lower back pain, and it was it was okay. It was manageable, but it got worse over time, and so I eventually went to get it checked out. Um, was very surprised to hear that it was an old fracture of my L4, L5, and the muscles were swelling up around it, causing a lot of uh, pain, discomfort. It always felt like I was on the brink of spasm or in a spasm, and they suggested that uh, I avoid arching and twisting my back. And as a high jumper and a volleyball player, that was just not an option. And so I decided to go with the root of pain management and trying to figure out my body um, and navigate that for four years instead of just not being an athlete. But if she wasn't careful with her back, the consequences were pretty severe. They also had, you know, let on to the fact that, hey, if you're not careful, you could have a full disc slip by the time you're 40. And so it was something that I thought about every single day. And emotionally, that was a lot to deal with. Emotionally, it was tough. I wasn't sure, um, you know, especially being an old fracture, how it didn't get caught beforehand, if my teammates would take it seriously, if if I would be, um, I guess, believed, um, just because it it wasn't an acute injury. There was no instance where I went down and something, um, you know, I was yelling in pain or anything like that. It was just overuse over time. And so that definitely made me nervous that, um, you know, maybe, maybe it was just me. Was I not taking care of my body in a way that um, was appropriate? Um, and so it was emotionally draining. Marissa had a lot of fear that the decision she made as an athlete would affect her for the rest of her life. I was scared that because I was doing athletics now, I was going to cause my disc to slip later. But eventually, she worked through that fear. As I moved through my years at college, I realized that um, there, you know, you can't just live in fear of an unknown. I could be totally fine by the time I get to 40 and I was doing everything that I knew how to do to take care of my body in the moment and to be as happy as I could in that moment. And so, you know, it was emotionally tiring at first, but by the time I was an upperclassman, um, which, you know, coincided with an athletics rebound as well in volleyball and track, I had, I found a lot more success in my later years than I did early on. Um, and I, I don't think I connected that to the injury until later on um, and just like dealing with the emotions of, of that and my fear, working through that fear of, uh, you know, am I going to be injuring myself for life? A big reason why Marissa was able to overcome her fear was the support of her teammates. But you may remember that at first, Marissa thought they didn't believe her pain. You said that initially you were afraid that your teammates and your coaches would believe that you had this, this huge amount of pain. Um, how, what what changed for you to, to to get to that place where your teammates and your coaches were huge sources of support for you? 
that was that was just coming from a place of uncertainty that was actually not founded in any sort of proof you know that was just a thought that i was having of self-doubt of uh, you know and, and also wondering if i myself was really having this issue like is this it's just muscle pain you know that's mm -hmm. all it, it it um showed itself as so i'm like you know is this even a legitimate complaint um and so that kind of sowed the seed within myself that well if 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 you aren't believing yourself why would others believe you um but then i i realized you know that's that's a false thought and i worked through that um and no one ever uh, all anyone ever did was prove that they were supportive of me and mm -hmm. i didn't have a reason to to doubt that at all Fast forward to her time as a coach, and Marissa's experience with injury influences how she supports her athletes at Williams. First, if we return to what we just talked about, whether Marissa's teammates believed her pain, she accounts for that as a coach. If the athlete is communicating something with you, then take their word for it. You know, you have no reason, or hope you, have, you should need to show them that you're not doubting them, because that's where I went as an athlete. Um, like always back them up 100% if they say, hey, you know, something doesn't feel quite right in my quad, or whatever it may be, then you take a step back, you're like, no problem, um, you, you let me know when you're ready to move back into practice. Second, she provides a space for the athletes to share their feelings with her. I really tried to always be available to talk about things beyond track beyond academics i check in with people a lot and it probably gets annoying after a while but i'm always asking people you know how they are because i want to provide a space for them to maybe one day be like not very good because usually you know people answer in a chipper manner like yeah i'm great class is fine lots of homework yada yada like the usual response but you know if if i can just provide a space for one person to say i'm not having a good day things are rough right now, whether that's injury related or not, then um, I think that I, I'm doing my job and and because uh, I want to, to um, open that dialogue for people to be able to communicate and talk. Uh, it's not easy. It's not easy to come out and say, I'm not doing well, whether it's injury related or not. Mm -hmm. um, but having that space is so important. And third, she tries to include those who are injured in team activities. And this third point is really cool. Because coming into this interview with Marissa, I viewed going to practice while injured as a selfless act, which helped my teammates, but didn't necessarily help me. But it turns out that being around teammates might actually help us recover from injury faster. When you become injured, immediately you are taken away now from a support system that is built into your into your everyday life. You go to practice, you practice for two plus hours with your teammates who often are now your friends. Um, and all of a sudden, if you're, if you have an injury that takes you away from that, you are missing out on your social supports and social supports are huge. You know, there is research out there that has, that says you return from injury faster if you continue to go to practices you're surrounded by people that are supporting you and loving you and caring about you through the process versus someone who isolates and is um you know trying to push through by themselves and do it on their own but sometimes you don't have that option sometimes the only time you can go to the athletic trainer is during your practice time and that's when you can rehab and so finding ways to still incorporate um, the injured athlete into the team dynamic is huge for recovery. And I think yeah. that in itself speaks to the power of um, the mental side of the injury. 
But this can be hard because watching other people do the sport you're not physically able to do, it's not easy. But thinking about the ways these social support systems promote recovery can help to build positive injury experiences and more inclusive teams. I think that being more forthright with it is only going to help the athletes and explaining the why behind, hey, you should still stay involved with the team. Well, why I, you know, I don't want to watch my teammates doing something I love that I'm not able to right now. And just kind of explaining the benefits of support, social support, um, you know, when, when you're, you're feeling alone. When you feel like you're on your own and I'm injured, I'm by myself, there's nothing I can do except wait and rehab and work through this. Um, But no, your teammates have your back. They want to be there for you. And it's only going to help you recover faster. I want to ask you this kind of more general question. And so what does a good injury culture look like for you? Mm. For me personally, I would say one that keeps the athlete involved as much as they want to be, you know, it's, it's a fine balance. It's, it has to be individualized to a point because there are always patterns, um, you know, scientifically that will say, this is what helps an injured athlete get better. Um, but I am a firm believer in the individual and that everyone reacts a little bit differently. Everyone needs something a little bit different. Um, but my baseline would be keeping them involved as much as possible. And that's not just at practices, still go to dinner with your teammates, Team, encourage teammates to check in on that person, you know, whether it's a text, whether they see them in the library, and you don't have to ask them about the injury. Oftentimes, that's not really what people want to focus on. They, you know, you have to remember that it's, they're a person beyond just being injured right now, um, and just keeping them involved, um, you know, in, in all facets with the team, not just athletically. That was Marissa Turner, assistant track and field coach at Williams College. So my next guest is somewhat of a living legend in the running community for two books that he wrote. His name is Chris Lear. I am uh, Chris Lear. I'm the author of Running with the Buffaloes and Sub 4, Alan Webb and the Quest for the Fastest Mile. I talked to Chris about his first book, Running with the Buffaloes which followed the 1998 men's cross-country team at University of Colorado. But before that, he was a runner at Princeton University, and there he had a lot of injuries. Yeah, I mean, as an undergrad, uh, I was a a miler, um, and uh, I suffered a lot of injuries, unfortunately, um, primarily with my feet. So I had uh, stress fractures in my feet, and then um, my senior year, I broke my navicular bone in my left foot, uh, that was probably the most serious of the, the injuries because it, it knocked me out of uh, my, missed my senior spring track campaign and then um, ended up having to get surgery on my foot about a year later where they, uh, they gutted the bone and took some a graft from my heel and, and pinned it together. So um, spent uh, too much time on the sidelines for my liking, but uh, really only had one full injury-free year running at college. But during his time at Princeton... Chris developed a curiosity for the mental side of injury. I was very interested in the subject, as you as you are. And uh, in fact, the only A-plus I ever received in college was a research paper that I did where I looked at athletes who get injured um, and are forced to quit competing um, and what happens to them. And uh, what I found was that, um, you know, a lot of people would think that, you know, people all of a sudden free from the the obligations of a sport that your grades would go up 
things like that. And I found it was the opposite and that, uh, that athletes had a kind of a feeling of normlessness when they were missing their sport. And it was especially true for sports like running where this can kind of be the, the hub to your day, right? Because it not only structures when you practice, but you know, when you eat, how much you sleep, everything else kind of revolves around that. So when you take that part out of the equation, then people can feel kind of lost somewhat. After graduating from Princeton, Chris moved to Colorado to write Running with the Buffaloes. And during his time there, there was a moment that really stood out. So Chris Severy, the number two runner on the Colorado team, died unexpectedly in a motorcycle accident in the middle of the season. But Colorado coach Mark Wetmore responded to this crisis in a unique way. And it speaks to much of what we've talked about in this podcast, the effect of stress on performance and physical health. I mean, it was, uh, it was devastating, you know? Um, I mean, this was a, he was like a brother to them. And, uh, you know, even closer than a sibling, you know, just that, that shared, that shared sacrifice and, and effort uh, that they had, you know, can make you kind of inconceivably close to one another. Um, and, you know, so what I really take away um, from that is, I mean, I thought it was heroic how they were able to, to come together and to keep moving forward and to compete at the highest level when it mattered most at the NCAA championship um, when it could have been easy to fall apart. And I think the key to that was uh, the guidance of Coach Wetmore. And I think what he did what he did, runs counter to what a lot of teams will do in a similar situation when they might have the tragic loss of a teammate. You know, oftentimes it's kind of uh, – uh, it's common to kind of to put a patch on your uniform or, you know, something to remember whoever it was that was lost. But there's this, you know, along with that, it's like, Hey, we're going to do this. We're going to win this for, for John. We're going to win this for whoever. Um, and, you know, I think Mark's attitude was, you know, you're going to remember him every day with the effort that you put forth every day by, by living, you know, righteously and doing the things that he would have wanted you to do. But to put that extra weight on your shoulders, of like win one for, you know, for the Gipper type of thing, uh, it's counterproductive. And so like they did not put a patch on a uniform and they did not do that, you know, and I think the thought is like, okay, you know, you're gonna, yes, you're gonna put your best effort, your best effort, no matter what. And um, imagine what it's like if you're telling yourself and proclaiming we're gonna do this for your teammate and you have an off day and you run a shit race, you didn't just run a, shit race you somehow like desecrated the memory of someone that you really cared about that's just too much pressure to to, to put on someone's shoulders to really expect that they're going to do really well and i think that consequence is pretty pretty severe coach wetmore believed in the calm mind approach which is essentially being in this zen-like state while running and this didn't just make a difference when chris severy died it's an effective way to reduce stress in general yeah i mean he, he talked a lot about how you know maintaining a calm mind right when you're running i remember hearing him say that all the time to the athletes you know as you're doing a really hard workout it was you know relax the face calm mind and those are the relaxation skills that are necessary to be successful when you're relaxed and even with elite level sprinting it's all about relaxation and if you're if you're tight and you're it starts in your face if your your form is tight then you're gonna it's just gonna slow you down Mm -hmm. um so along the if you think along those lines of like this is what you need you need to just be in a state of total relaxation or run your best 
then certainly having any thoughts in your head about like, you know, that are taking you away from being in that relaxed Zen state are going to be counterproductive mm-hmm. um, yeah. in my view. So, yeah. uh, but that's just, you know, observing these top coaches and what they do with their athletes. I think that's pretty profound. Um, and it's an interesting, interesting way to, to think about training yeah. is that you're learning how to push yourself and run at, you know, fast paces and the various levels of duress while maintaining a calm, relaxed demeanor mm-hmm. and uh, managing that stress. Yeah. So I think, you know, there's some parallels to what you can learn there and what, how you can apply that to other facets of your life. Now, combining this idea about relaxation with Chris's curiosity about injury at Princeton, he provided a really good perspective about how we can deal with injury mentally at the college level. But I think if there's an insight that I have from that, um, it's this. It's that, especially if you're young and you're running collegiately, a lot of your identity might be tied up in your being an athlete. And to know that you have self-worth beyond Matthew Peacock, the runner, um, is key. And, And the more that you... Kind of understand that, um, and that you know, if you have a good race, a bad race, you get hurt, whatever, like you're going to be okay. Um, you, you have value, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, the better off you're going to be, and the, the the better you're going to be able to hand, handle the better you're going to be able to handle competition, handle pressure. Um, and so, from a mental health aspect, I think that's something that I would really try to work on with. As a, if I were to be a college coach with all the kids, it's like, you know, this is, this is something you do. It's something that you're passionate about, something you love. But there's more to you than this. There's more to life than this. And, uh, and so, you know, developing that perspective can really help because it's, you know, ultimately the, the best performances come when, when you're relaxed. And, uh, and, you know, and it is, it's just having that perspective i think does a lot more to help someone's mental health and and success than than not so that was probably the and hence you know when i did that paper on those athletes who are hurt and went off the rails i think a large large part of it was that Mm -hmm. and if you know if if you have a greater sense of self um that can only benefit you as an athlete and to illustrate this point chris talked about the mentality of nick willis a professional runner from New Zealand. Nick Willis, you're probably aware of, Olympic silver medalist in the 1500 meters. He's a New Zealand miler. Mm. He was a star at Michigan um, after I was there. And he's been a professional for many, many years. Uh, he found religion. And I think in a way, from my perspective, from the outside looking in, I think part of the purpose of that for him was – um, just what we're talking about in that, you know, there's a sense of like, Hey, no matter if I run well or don't do well on this given day, like, you know, God loves me, this and that. And, and it's just that way of, um, I mean, I'm sure this is, it's, I think he's, he's very religious and this is a big part of his life. So not to trivialize anything, but I think one of the things that it might, one of the ways it might benefit him is just that, just giving him that sense of perspective that, you know, I'm going to do my best and, uh, but, you know, win, lose or draw, um, there's something bigger. Chris's perspective is really important and here's why. 
the more worth you attach to yourself as a person and the less you attach to yourself as an athlete. When injury strikes, these feelings of identity loss can become less severe. And in many conversations I had with coaches, they brought up a similar point, the importance of developing relationships with student athletes beyond their sports. Ethan Barron, head coach of men's track and field at Williams, who I interviewed for last week's episode, had a really good way of putting it. I want everyone to diversify their social identity, like their definition of who they are. Um, you know, it's the same as like economics, like diversification, you know, gives you protection against volatility. And um, I think that the same goes for kind of who you are. Like if, if you have other things to fall back on when one aspect of your life is in flux, then you will navigate that pro- process uh, faster. You'll come out the other end of that tunnel a little easier. Um, you, you feel a little less in the dark. Uh, and, and, and so I think you have to do it. You have to do that before you are dealing, like you're in the heat of the moment. Um, and so as a coach, it's, it's, it's helping at, not athlete. Like, honestly, I keep using the term athlete, helping people realize they're more than athletes. And there's, there's so much more to who we are than the event you do. You know, how many points you score on a Saturday, uh, you know, even like even your major, like there, there's so much who we are is, is so much more than than what we think. And as a head coach who creates the practice schedule for student athletes, Baron has a lot of control over how they spend their time. And he feels it's really important to allow time for their other interests. It's absolutely critical that I provide space and time for those other aspects of their personnel personality and like social identity to thrive. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I think there are some coaches and there are some programs that actively try to mute those Mm -hmm. with the hope of turning up the volume on the athlete side Um, and, you know, ask people to leave who they are at the door, you know, and, and, you know, when you're on the field, you're a football player, you're a soccer player. Like, I don't care about any of that. I was like, you know, I, that's just never been kind of the coach that I am. Um, you know, I see track and being an athlete, a student athlete as like one, one piece of the puzzle. And Jordan Carpenter, head coach of Pomona Pitzer, felt the same way. When you know that someone cares about you, yeah. you know that you going to them with an issue isn't going to now take away their attention that they give you or um you know just their feelings about you as a person right if they only care about your athletic performance and you know oh shoot well i'm feeling kind of banged up or my my leg's been hurting or i've been really stressed Mm -hmm. if i go to my coach now and i tell them that this is happening well well now i've just become less valuable um versus i think if they know that you really care about them and just want the best for them in all areas well Mm -hmm. they know that there, your value hasn't changed to, to your coach just because you're, you're dealing with an injury or you're really stressed or you haven't been sleeping. This relates to what Chris was talking about earlier, and it's an important point. If you know you have value beyond yourself as a runner, when running is taken away by injury or by stress, what your coaches and teammates think of you doesn't change. 
During our interview, Jordan mentioned Al Carius, the head coach of North Central College in Illinois, the most successful Division III cross-country program in history. And Al had a similar approach in supporting his athletes as people, not just as runners. I know like at North Central, you see that with Al Carius. Mm-hmm. Um, to see like the legacy and, and obviously he just stepped down as head coach. So I've been seeing a lot of mm-hmm. stories yeah. um, from his past athletes and just talking about how big of an influence he was just in their life, not as an mm-hmm. athlete, whether they had success or not, but mm-hmm. um, just how he championed all of their personal successes and, and was there for them as a person. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see the, you see the success of the program. And so I think, I think that's a really important piece. But how do you do this? How do you create an environment where students are valued for who they are as people, not just for their athletic ability? Harvard head cross-country coach Alex Gibby believes relationship building is key. I try to check in with every individual before practice uh, is over. Just say hi, how's your day, make fun of them for a little bit perhaps, whatever it is, just a little moment, a little, a little opportunity for them to bring anything up. Now, this works well for small teams, where coaches have time to check in with all of their student-athletes. But for big teams, it's important the student-athlete takes the initiative to build relationships themselves. The athletes cannot be shy about communicating. They're the ones who are going to have to drive the ship because there's, as I tell my group, there's only one of me and there's 30 of you. So you've got to be able to communicate. You've got to be able to express yourself. You cannot be kind of a wallflower in that type of environment or things are going to get missed. Um... You know, and, you know, if you're looking to develop, if you're looking to have a high level of success, then walking around with your fingers crossed is not a, really a plan of action, right? Like, oh, I just hope I don't get hurt, or I, I hope the training works for me, or I hope I'm being sufficiently stimulated. Like, you've got to be able to have those adult conversations. And I say that as someone that, you know, I, um, when I walked into William & Mary, I was like... I was scared shitless of my coach, like, and he was a wonderful person, but like, he was just an authority figure. So like, I was just your typical freshman seen, not heard, you know, just keep your head down, learn from the upperclassmen um, and just take care of what you need to do. And, and then I got hurt. I missed four and a half months with an IT band issue. Um, but it was, um, I would imagine my transition into college would have been much easier if I was mature enough to just walk into my coach's office for five minutes every week and say, Hey, just want to touch base. Like, what am I doing? Well, what am I not doing? Well, like what advice would you have for me? Um, that would be my recommendation. Now, another thing I learned from Alex, and this is a key component of his coaching philosophy is that there's no one route to success. And this applies to injury too. He believes that there's always a solution out there, but you just have to find it. And this is important not just in reducing injuries, but also maintaining hope on the athlete side. There is a solution out there. Um, you've just got to be able to find it. You know, and, and uh, one of the most frustrating things for an athlete and a coach as well is to keep banging your head into the same brick wall and hoping the brick wall moves. A really good example of this is a runner Alex worked with at William & Mary, Ed Moran, who had osteoporosis. With this condition, Ed had a really low bone density and was prone to stress fractures. But Alex found a structure that worked, and Ed was able to perform at a really high level. You know, Ed Moran in 2008, like Ed was in college, a diagnosed osteoporotic slash penic in two different areas, his, I think, spinal column and his hips. And which is why fundamentally he had stress fractures probably every six months from when he started running in high school 
through, I think, my first year at William & Mary. And it took us about a year. We broke the injury cycle by um, sticking to some very, just very basic rules we were just never, never going to um, uh, vary from. Um, And so, and then watching him take off over the next two, three, four years. That was Alex Gibby, head coach of men's and women's cross country at Harvard. So just to recap, some of the key components of a supportive injury environment are strong social support systems, an environment that values the person beyond the athlete, and strong relationships between coaches and student athletes. Now I want to leave off with this because it's important. Being an athlete is not an identity. It's a label and it can be taken away. But who we are, our personality and experiences, those can never be taken away. That's the show. I want to give a special thanks to Marissa, Chris, Ethan, Jordan, and Alex for taking the time to talk to me. Like, subscribe, and rate Running Hurt wherever you get your podcasts, and share it with your friends. I'm Matthew Peacock, your host. Thanks for listening. <laughs>